You are Locked On Bulls, your daily podcast on the Chicago Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, TuneIn, Google Play. Make sure you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You can email us for any basketball questions or advertising inquiries at LockedOnBulls at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnBulls. Like us on Facebook at LockedOnBulls. Uh, I'm Sean Hyken of The Athletic. With me, as always, Cody Westerland of 670 Score. Cody, we just watched a, uh overtime preseason game between the Bulls and the Hornets, and we're not going to talk about it at all because we have something a lot more important to talk we about. We have a soap opera on a Monday in October for the Bulls. Uh, a very Bullsy story, new edition. Michael Carter-Williams uh, officially acquired Monday from the Bucks in exchange for Tony Snell uh, in a deal that I think we broke down on Saturday night. Some yeah. of the basketball aspects mm-hmm. of it uh, became official Monday morning. He arrived at the United Center on Monday. And when you arrive with a new team, you need a new jersey number, Sean. So while I was on the train to the United Center uh, in the middle of the afternoon, I was looking on Instagram on my phone. And I, I, I just recently followed Michael Carter-Williams after the trade happened because, you know, as, as part of my job, I like to know what the current Bulls players are posting on social media. And I noticed that he posted a Photoshop of himself in a Bulls jersey with number one on it. And so <laughs> when we get to the uh, United Center, I asked one of the Bulls uh, PR people what number he was going to wear, and they told me he was going to wear number one. And this is significant because most of you know uh, Derek Rose during his eight seasons in Chicago wore number one. Uh, and Rose was a central figure in an entire era of Bulls basketball. Youngest MVP in league history. Yep. In Chicago native. 11. Um, and it was just speaking to whether the Bulls are going to distance themselves more from the Derrick Rose era or not. And Michael Carter-Williams uh, met with the media about 5.30 before the Bulls and Hornets tipped off. He was not available to play yet because he still officially has to take his physical. Uh, that's scheduled for Tuesday morning. But... He was happy to meet with the media and explained he chose number one because he wore it at Syracuse, and then he wore it at his first stop in the NBA with the Philadelphia 76ers, and he had success in both spots, a good college player, obviously rookie of the year with the 76ers before his uh, career kind of took a down downturn in the sense of he's not a very efficient offensive basketball player and was traded to the Bucks. but Mark Carter-Williams explained no disrespect to Derrick Rose. Uh, he knows how much he meant to the city. He knows how much... The Bulls respect him, but Michael Carter-Williams just said, hey, uh, I want number one when the Bulls asked. So the Bulls gave it to him, Sean, but that's only the start of the story. That's only the start of the story. So he said, and he, and he did tell us that, yeah, he basically, since he wore number five, uh, just for some context, he wore number five in Milwaukee because number one was obviously retired for Oscar Robertson for the Bucks. So when he get back to the Bulls, he couldn't, I mean, he couldn't just keep number five because Bobby Portis wears number five. And so he just asked for number one. Sounds like without really thinking about the fact that Rose wore number one, he basically was like, this was my college number. Nobody on the team is wearing it now. Can I have number one? And the Bulls were just like, sure, that sounds fine. And then... Uh, Peer pressure happened. Peer pressure happened. <laughs> I Social media tweeted <laughs> that he was going to wear number one. And this was literally just... Uh, I tweeted out that I confirmed with the Bulls that he was going to wear number one. I didn't say anything about it being Derrick Rose's number. I didn't say anything about the commentary about how I felt about whether they should be giving Derrick Rose's number out to somebody. I just said, 
I just confirmed with the team that he's going to wear number one. And the firestorm just started. My mentions are still going off about it. It's crazy. There were a lot of, bruh, that's way too soon. How the could one, you well, the one that, Well, the one that I got a million times was the disrespect. That those two words together, the disrespect. Well, this is this matters because it's not just we basketball writers who were getting these fire tweets. Apparently, Michael Carter-Williams got it because... During the middle of the Bulls-Hornets game, he tweeted that his uh, number was not officially picked yet, even though he'd been on record saying earlier he picked it, had a Photoshop jersey of it. He was listed in the game notes as number one. I literally uh, have the game notes right in front in of the me, and it, it says number one. Yeah, and so he, after the game, told CSN Chicago's Chuck Garfine briefly, uh, while we were still in Fred Hoiberg's post-game press conference, uh, he told Chuck Garfine that he was going to wear number seven. Chuck tweeted that was to avoid Rose controversy. So here we are, late night after the Bulls lost a preseason game that really doesn't matter. We're talking about Mike Carter-Williams, and more importantly, we're talking about Bulls organizational basketball politics. It appears they were cool with him wearing number one. At least the first couple layers of individuals or departments were cool with him wearing that. I don't know if Michael Carter-Williams changed his mind because of peer pressure or because one or two people said, hey, it'll be just be easier, but he will wear number seven. The Bulls seemed cool with distancing themselves from Derrick Rose even more, Sean. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that uh, they, that they could the, the, the team just was cool with uh, giving him number one. Too soon? I mean... You know, obviously the last couple of years of Derek's career didn't pan out the way that anybody would have hoped with the injuries. He was never the same player that he was, but he was the youngest MVP in league history. He led the Bulls to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2011. That was the most successful year that they've had in the post-Jordan era. He's, And, you know, also considering the fact that he's a Chicago native, he's one of the most important players in franchise history. He's certainly the most important player and the most iconic player of the current ish Bulls era in the last, you know, five, six years or so. Yeah, and hovering over this, I guess, is will the Bulls retire Derrick Rose's jersey someday, which uh, right now is still a guessing game. I think He's the one answer of two is MVPs yes. in franchise history. That's right. The only other MVP in franchise history is Michael Jordan. I feel like if you win in, if you win MVP, you are going to get your jersey retired with the team that you won MVP with. That's generally how it works. Yeah, and if your jersey's retired, typically teams don't have players wear those anymore. In Bulls history, they have four retired jerseys. That is Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan. No one's worn those at all. Uh, Bob Love, correct. Number 10, um, yeah. No one's worn it since his jersey was retired. Uh, Jerry Sloan in the 70s had his jersey retired. John Paxton actually wore it for one season, number four, with the Bulls in 1989. But generally speaking, people don't wear jerseys of guys who are going to have their number retired or have had their number retired. So, And John Paxson, by the way, is the Bulls' current vice president of basketball operations. All this stuff is interconnected. So I'm going to take just a simple, strong stance here. Michael Carter-Williams should wear number one. If he wants to wear number one, the Bulls should have said, please have it. No one should have told Michael Carter-Williams, don't have it. It's going to be easier for you. The Bulls need to move on from the Derrick Rose era. This is the easiest way to do it. 
Michael Carter-Williams probably isn't going to be with the Bulls for 12 or 15 years here. If they want to retire Derrick Rose's jersey sometime down the line, then they can say no one wears number one anymore. But that buys you time. I just, I just think if he wants it, move on. Just go about business as usual. Take whatever hits you're going to get from people on social media for a day. Don't be wishy-washy here. Now, if down the line you're trying to retire the number or something or someone else wants number one, everyone's referencing this as precedent and who really made the decision and what happened. So just like, go do it. We're number one. Like, Derrick Rose wasn't that good at basketball for the Bulls last year. He was a solid basketball player at times, wasn't a two-way player, but he was not legendary at the end of his Bulls career. They do need to set out on this new era. Well, so here's my thing with it. Either let him wear it or don't. If he had gotten to Chicago... And in their initial conversations, had he had said, "I want number one," and they said, "No, we don't want anybody to wear it," then he then it would have been like, "Okay, fine, I'm gonna he's gonna pick a new number." It would have never gotten out. We would have never talked about it. We'd probably be talking about that, you know, mediocre preseason game, and that would be the whole story. But they made the decision. The people who I don't know exactly who it was in the organization that decided that he could wear number one, but whoever it was knew exactly what that was. You know, knew who the last player to wear that number was. They probably had some kind of inkling of how people reacted. And if they just went with it, then you got to just own it. And if you're Michael Carter-Williams, like I get maybe he just really just doesn't want to deal with the controversy. But I almost feel like he should have just gone with it and just doubled down and said, no, I want number one. The question is, is it a one-day controversy for Michael Carter-Williams or would he have been... Uh, worried about and burdened by people referencing him wearing jersey number one for the next year he's with the Bulls or if he's with the Bulls for several years he's entering restricted free agency next offseason so they could keep him longer uh, here in the coming years but like if it's going to be a burden I guess I get it but I just really don't think it was going to be a big burden fans understood why the Derrick Rose era came to an end and they were ready to move on so it's it's not like you're taking Michael Jordan's number you know what I mean that's a totally different separate thing here well so here's the part of it that's this is a bit of an interesting hypothetical and I don't it's just trying to get to the idea of whether this happened because the Bulls just weren't thinking about it or whether because they wanted to distance themselves from the Derrick Rose era what do you think would have happened if Michael Carter-Williams or somebody else that they had traded for had asked for number 13? Joakim Noah's number. Right. Uh, I don't think, and again, this is speculating and a guess, I don't think they... I think someone might have said something sooner on that than Derrick Rose because they weren't happy to move on from the Joakim Noah era. They just like didn't they want to pay him what the, the Knicks were willing to pay. Like the Derrick Rose era. Like... As weird as that sounds, because Rose was a better basketball player and won an MVP, but only one of those two players as an organization do you really want to distance yourself from. And, of course, clouding that, too, is Derrick Rose's civil lawsuit, sexual sexual assault civil lawsuit that's still playing out in Los Angeles. And you just, I mean, you don't want your brand and organization associated with his name right now. That's, it's as simple as that. Um, Whether he's guilty or not, liable or not in that case, so that's a really good question. These are really tough questions because it's not a question anyone in the locker room can answer. It's not a question that Fred Hoiberg can answer. It's not a question anyone in the organization will, would answer if you asked them. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we have John Paxton on record sometime, he might give a little insight. But this also brings up the question of this, this Derrick Rose number thing, the, the, the soap opera of the day. There's different individuals in this organization that think differently. Some think about basketball only, 
Some don't care about the public perception, others do, and everyone's different. So you look at it in those terms, some people are going to care and some people aren't going to care about what jersey number. Some might find it disrespectful, some might find it stupid that we're even talking about this for 11, 12 minutes. Well, right, but the, you know, this is all optics and this stuff does matter. Yeah, I mean, perception can be reality a lot of times, you know, in many, many cases. So uh, I do find it fascinating, I guess we have more time in the coming seasons to see who uh, might want number one. I would think in the coming seasons most people wouldn't want it. I don't know a lot of players. Well, I think now that this is a public so now that this is a public thing, I think the you know Stay people, away whoever from it is, and especially I think the organization now that they've you know gone through this with with Michael Carter Williams, next time a player asks for number one, they're going to be like, I don't know if you want to do that. Yeah, this actually reminds me of something that happened a couple of years ago when I was uh, still in Portland. Uh, the Blazers signed Mo Williams as a free agent. And when they had their introductory press conference for him, he held up his number seven jersey, which was the number that he picked. And obviously that was Brandon Roy's number, who, you know, kind of similar to Derrick Rose. He was the savior of the franchise for a few years. And then year and then knee injuries ended up just making him never the same. Brandon Roy, unfortunately, had to retire early uh, in his career. But he's still a very much beloved figure among Blazers fans. And there was a huge public backlash when Mo Williams picked number seven. So then a couple days later, he ended up switching to number 25. There you go. So there is precedent, I guess, in the NBA for this. It's worth I mean, noting it's possible. that. And like I, and like I asked a couple of you know, people in the organization uh, after it first came out that he was wearing number one, I asked you know, a couple people just t- just talking, not, not on the record or anything, like what, uh, the, you know, wh- why they let him have it. And then he, they just kind of said, well, it's not retired. But there, the thing is there's precedent for... Like, the Lakers, I realize, you know, it's Kobe Bryant, but the Lakers haven't let anybody wear number eight since Kobe switched to 24. Yeah, and I think we should point out, too, we asked Michael Carter-Williams directly, was there any pushback from the organization? And he, he said, said there no. wasn't. So, I mean, again, like, for it to go onto a Photoshop for him, for it to get in the game notes, for it to kind of get drawn up on several levels, like, it... I'm not saying this went from top to bottom structure-wise in the organization, but it certainly went through more than one person, you know? So, like, initially it was just a simple decision, go with number one, cool. You asked, or we asked you, you asked and requested this. And, and this I honestly, I, I mean, I 100% believe MCW that he just wanted it because it was his college number. He wasn't yeah. thinking about Derrick Rose because, I mean, with, with him, he's kind of not really in a position in his career where he can be thinking about, oh, well, who wore this number before? He's just like, I have had a kind of disappointing last couple of seasons. I just got traded to a new team. I'm comfortable wearing my old college number. I want that. And it's if they if the organization told me like if they had if they like I said before if they had told him in their first discussions no way we would probably be better. It would be a bad PR move to give you number one after we just traded Derek. Uh, if he and then he would have been like okay cool I have to pick a new number. That's that's just what it is. But then. Uh, if they had said, you know, he asked for number one and they apparently didn't push back at all or didn't see any problem with it, then it just looks a little bit weird that it you know, ended up playing out the way it did where he kind of got peer pressured by Twitter into changing it. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure he'll clarify a few of those uh, questions in the coming days as well next time he's available to the media. Uh, the Bulls do have practice Tuesday, so... Uh, maybe Tuesday, although he'll be getting his physical, Fred Hoiberg was hopeful that maybe he can hop in at the end of practice. More realistically, Michael Carter-Williams will practice Wednesday with the Bulls. They'll then travel to Omaha for the Doug McDermott-Kyle Korver reunion game. 
uh, them both being Creighton grads, Bulls first. That's Hawks. Uh, I believe it was in Lincoln, Nebraska or so last year where Doug right. had a game winner. So uh, he likes going back home for those preseason and games. And Doug, Michael Carter-Williams is expected. He did obviously didn't play a night against the Hornets because he hasn't taken his physical yet. But he is expected to make his Bulls debut. It was, I mean, so just while we're on the subject of MCW, because I don't really want to talk about this Hornets game that no happened. but. Does. You know, did was there anything else that stood out to you from MCW's pre-game media availability? Well, I we asked Fred Hoiberg, you know, like, why didn't it work in Milwaukee? What can a change of scenery do? And I thought it was interesting that he pointed out uh, Michael Carter-Williams was in a really tough situation in Milwaukee because he came in February 2015, uh, the end of the season, and that was the year, I'm trying to think, the Bulls played them in the first round of the playoffs, a right. six-game series that the Bulls won by a gazillion points, and that's only a slight exaggeration in Game 6 in Milwaukee. Um, but he played tough. Several Bulls, Taj Gibson, Jimmy Butler, said he played really tough in that series. But Fred pointed out it was hard for Michael Carter-Williams because this past season, 2015-16, uh, the Bucks turned the freedom and the reins over to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And... You know, Michael Carter-Williams was kind of relegated and minimized with the ball in his hands, and he kind of needs that because he's not a spot-up shooter, obviously, so he's more of a pick-and-roll guy, make some plays for others, slash to the hoop. And when you don't have the ball, that's a little more difficult. So Fred just thought bringing him to Chicago and giving him more responsibility, obviously that would have to be on the second unit because the Bulls have three guys on the first unit. Anytime he's out there with Rondo, Wade, Butler, they got three guys that need the ball in their hands. So it seems more likely that, that Fred's vision was to have him be on the second unit, be a good defender, and kind of take some of the playmaking responsibility maybe when he's out there with Butler or Wade, like one of those two, and obviously backing up Rajon Rondo. Is that what it seemed like to you? Yeah, I thought so. He, the other thing that was interesting was he said that he thinks the Bulls are a playoff team, which is the first time anybody has explicitly set expectations. He said we're definitely a playoff team. It's true. That is incredible because Fred Hoiberg, Gar Foreman, Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, none of these individuals have put any sort of expectations on this Bulls season. Dwayne Wade acknowledged the other day, the Bulls clearly aren't competing for a championship, and when you're gunning for a playoff spot, you have to approach it differently, put each all the work into each and every day, as Tom Thibodeau would say. Uh, Dwayne the magic was, is in the work. Dwayne was referencing that. So Michael Carter-Williams is the first one that said, though, hey, we're going to be in the playoffs, we expect to be there. Which, I mean, they all expect to and want to, but they're realistic they're after last they're year. They're competitors. Maybe he just hasn't been coached yet to not say that. No, I just like He said it unsolicited, too, just in, in the midst of another answer about something so else. So I thought of another example of a team not letting a player have... Uh, just off a, the top a, of your head, how, how deep yet. does the memory bank go? Well, it's it was pretty recent, but uh, a couple of years ago when Dion Waiters was traded from the Cavaliers to the Thunder, mm-hmm. uh, he asked for number 13, which was James Harden's number, and they wouldn't let him have it, so he picked number 23. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I would argue that Derrick Rose accomplished a lot more in uh, said location in Chicago than James Harden did in Oklahoma City. I mean, I know the Thunder went to the finals, but, I mean, Derrick Rose won MVP, and he was a hero to the entire city because he was from there and stuff. I would argue that... Derrick Rose has a lot more of a claim to no, nobody can wear this guy's number for a few years than James Harden did, but the Thunder wouldn't let Dion Waiters wear number 13. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now you're just making me sad thinking about James Harden-era Thunder basketball when they had three of the 12 U.S. Olympians on one team, 
and were poised for years to come to dominate and it fell apart over four or five million dollars on an extension for James Harden out of fear for luxury tax for the Thunder, but that's a long story for another day, probably for another podcast, Locked on Thunder. Locked on Thunder, which you should check out. Locked on Thunder with Fred Katz, good friend of ours, friend of the program. And, of course, we will keep you updated on all the other latest Bulls news and notes, of which uh, we should note. Taj Gibson, far and away the clubhouse leader for the starting power forward spot. Another Nikola Mirotic had a solid a game. back strain in this game. He, we don't know how serious it is yet. Nico told us after the game that he has sharp pain in his back and believes he's day-to-day. This makes me believe he might not play Thursday in the preseason finale, but certainly should be ready for the regular season. I would expect that regular season to open with Taj Gibson. I would think so. At Power Forward, because he's played five preseason games, and he's been terrific in three or four of them. Played well in the other one or two, however you want to classify it. Uh, Another strong game tonight, 12 points, six rebounds on five of nine shooting in 17 minutes. He's See, here we go talking three. about this game. Which we're not talking about the game. We're talking about Taj. Just just kind of delineation there a little bit. Sure. Okay, I'll, I'll round it back into the big picture. But uh, it's worth noting, Jimmy Butler also, I don't know if I'd call it an endorsement, but he was asked about the starting five that played tonight, and that was with Taj at Power Forward, and he said he really liked the group and spoke very highly of it. So, I mean, he's not going to go out there in the locker room and be like, no, I don't want Nico to start, but... Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade could not be speaking more highly of Taj Gibson's play at power forward and how much they like playing with him. That is very true. So that should about do it uh, for tonight's episode. We'll have another one for you tomorrow. Uh, remember, as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, TuneIn, Google Play. Make sure you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter, at Hiken, at Cody Westerlin, and at LockedOnBulls. As always, please send us emails with basketball questions, advertising inquiries to LockedOnBulls at gmail.com. And subscribe to The Athletic to read my work on the Bulls and check out 670thescore.com to read Cody's work. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.